Welcome to the Illuminations Media Network. Welcome back to the Illuminations Media Network. I'm Tamara Westwood, your host, and this is a special show because this is our very first video broadcast in a very, very long time. I'm glad that you're joining me today. We're going to be talking about some extremely fascinating topics. We're going to be talking about perhaps alternate worlds, uh, other life forms, and this whole feeding frenzy <laughs> that uh, might be going on here on planet Earth. You know, scientists are discovering new species all the time on the Earth, in the air, in the water, even signs of life on other planets and the sun. And all spiritual traditions all over the world talk about non-physical beings making contact with us. Non-physical beings that can take on physical form. Uh, some even hijack the bodies and minds of animals and people. In the case of possessions and walk-ins, we've all heard about these instances. We've all experienced the idea that maybe my thoughts aren't my own. You know, maybe sometimes an intrusion comes in and we don't know where it came in. Maybe a thought plagues us and we can't let it go or shake it. What do we need to know about these voices? You know? Well, <laughs> well the, the, the first thing is that your thoughts are not your own. <laughs> you know, that's the biggest one. Yes. Uh, they, they come from somewhere. And I remember asking, uh, after, after a couple of years in the PhD program, I was waiting for, okay, where do thoughts come from? And they weren't about to even deal with it. So I raised my hand in a, in a lecture series one day, and I asked the head of the department, where do thoughts come from? And he looked at me like I'd just fallen out of a spaceship at his feet. <laughs> and, uh, it's like, didn't know what to say. But that is what I needed to know, you know? How the mind works depends on that. You know, where do they come from? You know, and I knew from watching schizophrenics that I, I suspected that these voices they were hearing were thoughts. I mean, they were their thoughts. Mm -hmm. And it looked like they was their thoughts until I realized how destructive they were. You know, they, these guys were constantly sabotaging themselves. And when I first started at Central State Hospital, which was at the time still the biggest in the world, I mean, it sprawled over, a, what was it, 2,000 2, acres with 200 buildings. And I think at, at the time I was there, it had like 13,000 uh, patients. I mean, it was huge. It was a city. You know, every mental illness known to man was to be found somewhere in there. And being young and stupid, I thought that was great because I was interested in uh, abnormal psychology. And that was the happening place, although it was in the middle of nowhere in central Georgia at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so when I first got there, what I started noticing is that these psychotic guys were doing crazy destructive things. And, and the first thing I remember was uh, one of them cut off his penis 
And they oh said, my! <laughs> Hold it, Jerry. Hold it, Jerry. Before we go there, I want, <laughs> right. I want our viewers to know who you are. My guest today is Jerry Marzinski. As you can hear, he knows exactly what he's talking about. He's had 30 years of experience working with psychiatric patients. And as he's saying, he, he did this in Georgia. He also did it in the Arizona prison system. And he has some fascinating experiences, as you heard him begin, speaking about chopping off <laughs> body parts that, uh, that many of us see as vital. Continue, Jerry. All right. So, uh, and it was the, the, the grapevine was the central cafeteria where all the staff met and, and there was no iPhone, there was no internet back at that time. So everything that was happening at the hospital flew through the hospital cafeteria. So when I heard that, I found uh, that one of the uh, counselors I worked with worked in that unit were with the guy who had done this. So at, at dinner one day I said, uh, hey Ed, go, go ask that guy why he did that. You know, nobody's asking them anything. <laughs> nobody's talking to these people. They're just crazy. So everybody just ignores them because they're crazy. I'm right. Like, ask him why he did that. So uh, he came back uh, the, the next day. I met him in, uh, at breakfast. And I said, well, what did he tell you? And he said, well, he, he said he didn't need it. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, but the, it was it was a series of these strange things like that where it, it was all negative. It was all destructive. They were killing themselves at a horrendous rate. Their suicide rate was astronomical. The graveyard there contained like 130, uh, I think it was 130,000 graves all the way back to the Civil War. So Sherman camped his troops around this hospital during the Civil War. That's how old it is. My goodness. You know, and some of the buildings were almost as old. And it was a hospital back then? Uh, it was. And uh, it was run better back then than it was when I was there. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, you know, it was a series of these kind of things, the, the horrendous suicide rate. Uh, they brought one guy into, the, they called it the building for the criminally insane. And every time I walked past it, it would be like, what's in there? And nobody in the cafeteria knew anybody who worked there. You know, everybody would meet at the, at the kitchen, but no, none of the staff from there worked there. And they wouldn't let us go in there. It was the only building in the hospital we couldn't get into. You had to be... You had to work there to get in there. So they called it uh, the building for the criminally insane. Mm -hmm. And stories would come out of there, and one of which was an uh, airline pilot who had murdered his wife because he uh, believed that she was turning his son into a homosexual. So mm -hmm. here's this guy flying airlines, and, and then the next day he ends up in, in that building Mm -hmm. uh, so, so something uh, took hold of him. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That was what they called a delusional disorder, for sure. But uh, mm -hmm. the the kind of schizophrenia that I'm talking about, or we'll be talking about here, is paranoid schizophrenia. There's a lot of different kinds. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the hebephrenics and there's the disorganized. The paranoids are the ones that are paranoid, and they're usually hearing voices. Right now, psychiatry insist that those voices are hallucinations. So, 
you know, I saw there was a conflict there because at the state hospital, if the voices, if the psychiatrist found out that the voices were telling a patient to kill himself, they would lock him up right away. They'd fill him full of drugs and, and he'd be locked up until he was no longer suicidal. So that so, was when they would intervene at that point. At that point. And that's the only point at which they gave the voices any credence. Now, mm -hmm. that's not all the voices were saying. Mm -hmm. you know? But if they heard that, they reacted to it as if it was very real. Right. But, if, but all this other stuff was supposed to be a hallucination. Mm -hmm. you know? So here's the schizophrenic thing on their part. All this other stuff is hallucinations, but the high suicide rate and the voices telling these people to kill themselves wasn't. And I'm like, well, why are they paying attention to that? And they're not paying attention to anything else these voices are telling them. So uh, they kept insisting they were hallucinations. And I wanted to know what they were saying. You know, it's like, what are they telling these people? Because they're always in trouble. <laughs> they're always in trouble. They're always sabotaging themselves. They're always hurting themselves. They're hurting other people. It's always negative stuff. Wow. And, and it was hard to break into that because by the time they got to the state hospital, well, first of all, the same thing I went through when I started learning about this, there's nobody you can talk to. So if they talk to anybody about this, they're deemed crazy. You know, their parents are all upset. Um, the, the stuff the voices are telling them is oftentimes so horrendous that they, they're embarrassed to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So they get drugged into a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist says, oh, yeah, you're psychotic. You know, you're hallucinating. Your voices are uh, being hallucinations. What you're hearing isn't real. Your brain is broken due to a chemical brain imbalance. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no cure. You know, so we're going to put you in the hospital and we're going to fill you full of these potent toxic drugs. And, and this is the treatment. Now, those drugs cured nothing. All they did was suppress the psychotic symptoms mm -hmm. and the patients hated them because of the side effects. They were they were awful side effects. Right. But not as bad as being psychotic. Well, Jerry, you know, maybe we can get into these deeper experiences, you know, that you had with these clients and with the inmates um, in the second half. Mm -hmm. But right now, I would like to to speak to how we can decipher, you know, whether or not we're just hearing voices because these are our own thoughts or these are intrusions that are coming from elsewhere. How would we distinguish? Well, th that's a very good question. Uh, number one, and, and Sherry, I hope you talked to her at some point along the line. Too. Yes. She, was, she was struggling with these things as a young woman and beat them with the same kind of information that I was learning the hard way mm -hmm. um, and ended up working as a uh, uh, civil engineer on multi-million dollar projects. So she clarified that um, with the information I had, and I overlaid it and tested it out on the front lines. Every negative thought you have about yourself comes from them. Wow. Every negative Every thought you have about yourself comes from them. Wow. You know, now, when I first heard that, I misinterpreted it, and I knew that what the voices were telling these people were negative thoughts. 
they sounded just like their own thoughts. There wasn't any change in timbre or voice tone or any, it sounded like them speaking to them, which made things very difficult because people think that if it appears in your mind, it must be yours. That's right. just what we're told, you know, it's and your thoughts. The, you know, it's the school of thought of the subconscious mind. Yeah. That we have negative patterns and negative thoughts from from the past or ideas that we've bought into from the pillars of socialization, right? Yep. Yep. Ah, interesting. So, so that one is pretty solid. So when I first heard her tell me that, I went, that matches what I found. But she put it in such a succinct form. I said, this is great. It's a lot easier to remember than what the information I was telling patients, which was a lot more spread out. I mean, it was the same information, but she had made it very concise. So I took what she told me into the ER one night. And with one of the psychotic guys that night, uh, I told him, well, every, every negative thought you have that comes into your mind is them. And the voices lashed back out at me. And they said, that's not true. And this is the voices talking. They said, look at the, uh, that wall is green, isn't it? And I looked at the wall and I said, well, yeah, it's green. And they said, is that a lie? I said, well, no, I guess not. So I went back to Sherry and I said, uh, well, wait a minute, this happened. And she said, every negative thought about yourself, not every negative thought. Right. You okay. know? So the one you can count on is the negative thought about yourself does not come from you. It's not the light being that you are composed of. It's not yours. It's designed to create turmoil and negative emotional energy, which is what these things feed off of. So if you monitor your thoughts, and and we've got to do this better, and you see one of those come in, turn it around and go, uh, this this does not belong in my thought stream. Get out. And you know, Jerry, that makes it easier to do when you recognize that it's not coming from you shoot yeah that it is foreign (laughs) it is foreign Mm -hmm. you know there were there were three groups of of uh three types of psychotic patients the ones who thought the voices were demons and negative entities okay the ones who weren't sure and the ones who bought into psychiatry's bullcrap about there being hallucinations and their brain is broken the ones who recovered the most were the ones who felt these things were not them okay because now whether they were whether they were demons or whatever they were they were right. just not me they, right. they weren't them so that mm-hmm. that puts out a um a, a distance it's no longer you that you don't understand why you're doing these crazy things and why you're thinking these crazy things it's something right. else it's not you and that dichotomy has to be made if they're going to recover right you know? And, and so and, what you're saying, Jerry, is that everyone has, has these intrusions. Yes. We all have these thoughts. But what makes people like paranoid schizophrenics uh, experience it on a deeper, more devastating level? Well, uh, from what I've seen on the front lines is most of these people were either physically, sexually, emotionally traumatized. So they had that programming to start with. So what these entities are after is negative emotional energy, and they're attracted to that like sharks are attracted to blood. I mean, they will just float right in there, and the prisons are a major feeding source of that 
Yeah. Wow. So you can actually. Here, we're, we're not at the top of the food chain. Uh-oh. Uh -oh, you just froze. There you go. There, you're yeah, back. Froze. So okay. you're not on top of the food chain? You and I oh, are no. at no, the top. We're, we're not. So if you look at the way nature works, I mean, everything from the smallest bacteria all the way up the line is, is feeding on something bigger. Right. Okay. Trying to eat. Now, to now, when you get to us, okay, we're, we're the basically the top here but then that moves into a spiritual level where there are other entities who are feeding off of us and in order to do that they must turn your emotional state negative because they can't produce that energy on their own it, wow it, it has to be negative emotional energy because they can't stand positive you know so and People. so like a virus, a virus is, is like a parasite that is feeding off of us physically and replicating itself uh, with the intent to take over the physical body, consume it, if you will, or whatever. But these, these invisible, disincarnate parasites, they're drawing from our energy. Yes, that they're taking your life energy after turning it negative. So... You know, for, for the therapists who are out there who work with these people, you know, this, they don't notice this, but it's very important is that after the voices attack and leave, those guys are drained. They have no yeah. energy. They're depressed. They can't get out of bed. You know, mm -hmm. And you point that out to the patient and, and they'll say, oh, yeah, after the voices come, I, I, I'm devastated i don't have any energy i can't get out of bed but they cannot make the connection between the voices appearing tens of thousands of times and they're draining draining them you know and you can point that out you can even say you know okay if, if these things come you know some of them have been hearing them for decades you go okay well you've probably heard them ten thousand times and every time they came after they left you were drained what yeah. happened to your energy you didn't use it and they go well i don't know Wow. And I'd say, okay, if you stuck your hand in the fire 10 times, and each time you stuck your hand in the fire, you got ball saying it's the fire. Not at all. But then you go, okay, you'd switch it around again and go, okay, if every time these voices come, you're drained of energy, what's taking your energy? Where's it going? Well, I don't know. Very few of them were able to hit that. And that's the very last thing these entities want us to know is that they do exist and that they are draining all of us. You know? Now, the normal guy who's probably sitting out there going, oh, this is all bullcrap. The way they would hit him is, you know, he's walking down the sidewalk one day, minding and knows business. Right. And then all of a sudden this horrible thought comes into his head that is just sends the hair up on your back and you go, my heavens, you know, that's awful. Why am I even thinking that? You know, and it's kind of you shudder. You would never, you never act on anything like that. You never, you ne hardly ever think about anything like that. Right. And you, here comes this thought just barges in there. Oh, stab your grandmother or drive your car into oncoming traffic. Or, you know, it's like, where did that come from? You know, because it doesn't belong to you and you know it doesn't belong to you. You don't think that way. It's just this massive intrusion that just barged in there, you know, and went boom. All right. So that's that's how most of us can clearly see these things. But their end game is to produce negative emotional energy. So they play on guilt a lot. 
So if you do something you're guilty about, they'll just keep feeding it. It's wow. like pouring gasoline on the fire until you feel bad, and then you'll notice that you're being drained. Now, Jerry, this makes me think about generalized anxiety, depression, all these things. When, when an individual, and when I you know, speak with clients, I speak with people a lot with generalized anxiety. They may have anxiety attacks from time to time that come out of the blue or supposedly out of the blue, um, then there may be the, the issues with, uh, with long-term and uh, tiresome depressive periods that show up afterwards. Now, with that, Jerry, could this be our body's way of dealing with? You know, I thought that for years. I thought that for years. Then mm-hmm. one day I was assigned to the jail for the prison, which is the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. And into my office come two letters, one from the captain of, you know, the CDU telling me that there's a psychotic prisoner who's standing over his roommate at three in the morning and staring down at him. And he wanted something done about that. They were locked in the same cell. Mm-hmm. And then in came a uh, letter from the guy who... The, the prisoner who the psychotic guy was staring at at three in the morning. And the reason he was in there, cause he snitched off a drug deal and the gangsters wanted him dead and they wanted him dead so bad that they'd already stabbed him a couple of times. And they actually went out of their way to get into trouble so they could be sent to CDU so they can get this guy. Oh, That's how bad they wanted him dead. And they were shooting notes under his door saying, if you come out of there, we're going to kill you. So Mm -hmm. he couldn't come out without an armed guard, uh, without a guard. Mm -hmm. And here's these two guys locked in the same cell together. Perfect experimental circumstances. Same cell, same environment, same food, same everything. Mm -hmm. So I brought him up one at a time to the interview room, and I watched him as they come up the steps. The guy who the gangsters were trying to kill looked like Superman. He had tons of energy. He flew up those steps. He came, sat down. He told me what was going on. And you couldn't be under more anxious circumstances than that guy was in. Not only were the gangsters trying to kill him, he's got a psychotic, criminally insane guy in the same cell with him. In the same cell, living with him. Living in the same cell, living with him, who's standing over him at three in the morning, staring down at him in the dark. It doesn't get too much worse than that, except in war. And this guy had tons of energy, you know. And then the psychotic guy who's eaten up by the voices comes out, and this other guy goes back, and he could barely make it up the steps. Once he got into the interview room, he had no energy. He could barely speak. And I... That blew my mind. I went, okay, it's not the anxiety that's caused by these things constantly hammering at them. It's something else. And I didn't know what that was exactly. Um, But at that point, I knew it wasn't the anxiety. So I had to look for something else. Something else was causing this. Um, And that's that's where the the voices thing came in. When I knew that... I was reading something from a shaman, you know, who who are ignored by the medical people also. Of course. And and he brought up the fact that these things were parasites. And I went, Mm. that matches what I've seen. So what I did is with one of the patients, uh, the the psychotic prisoners I was working with, who was making very good progress and had warned me, you know, that the voices were getting pissed off. He was the one that came and told me the voices wanted to talk to me. 
And when they did, I think I, I mentioned to you early, you know, he sat down, he looked at me and I said, well, what do they have to say? <laughs> and, and Jerry, how, let, let us, let us uh, unpack this and step by step for our viewers. <laughs> I think we were talking about that ahead of time and they did. Right, right. In the green room. So mm -hmm. break it on down step by step so they can get what was really going on there. Okay. Um, what, what was happening is that uh, I knew whatever the voices were, they were destroying these patients. Mm -hmm. They were always telling them constantly negative things. So mm -hmm. that's where I discounted psychiatry's bullcrap about there being hallucinations. Hallucinations are all over the place. They're positive. They're negative. They're random. They're just everything. You know, the, the, the content is everywhere. There's no pattern to it. Right. There was a definite pattern to these voices, mm. which they also totally ignore. They were always unswervingly negative and consistently derogatory and, and rotten. They, about the individual. About the individual. They'd tell them all kinds of rotten things about himself. You're no good. You're stupid. You're worthless. Nobody likes you. It goes on and on and on. You know, every, all kinds of negative crap, you know, about themselves. Breaking them down. Breaking them down. Now, not only that, they did the same thing with the prisoner, with uh, the inmates, and as we do with prisoners of war. They wouldn't let them sleep. They come two, three in the morning, and they're, they're hounding them. They're screaming at them. Uh, they, they can't sleep. They're not eating. They're, they're, they're you know, so they, what these things are doing is the same thing to us that we do to cows. You know, you put them out in the field, they eat grass, they, they get fat, they make milk. We bring them in, we isolate them, and then we milk them, and then turn them loose again, they eat more grass. So that's what these things are doing. They drain these patients. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how they do that, but I've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and the patient would just tell me, I mean, they're draining me right now, I can feel it. You know, mm -hmm. now I didn't, before I, I was aware of this, while I was working with these guys, if I worked with more than two of them in a day, I would come home so drained from work that I just, I couldn't function. So I made a rule for myself not to work with any more than two of them a day and just one. Yeah. 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 You know, wow. So as we're experimenting with ways to interfere with these voices and what they're telling the patients, um, I was getting closer and closer and, and there was more and more interference. Now, one thing I was able to do in the prison that I wasn't able to do in the psych hospital mm -hmm. was that any, you know, you're not supposed to do anything in the hospital that upsets these patients and talking to them about their voices upsets the voices. Upsets them, of course. Yeah. So psychiatry jumps down your throat and I've been warned more than once, you know, do not ask them questions about the voices. They're, they are hallucinations. You know, that's what they are. Quit messing around with this stuff. You're upsetting my patients and they ordered me to stop it. Okay. So I had to kind of back off and wait until I got signed to a different unit where I could start again because I would have been in big trouble with them. Now in the prison, that was a whole different environment. You know, a, a prisoner complaining about a psych asking him about his voices wouldn't even break the ambient noise level there. You know, <laughs> so it was like, you know, nobody cared uh, until they, the people started recovering. Then things got strange. Hmm. Uh, so I, what I did is I brought in after 
after I was warned by my patients that what I was doing was dangerous and I didn't think these things could come out of their head and get me. I mean, they lived in their head, not mine. You know, that's what I was thinking at the time. So I didn't think I was in any danger. Mm -hmm. And then the second time he comes in and, uh, he says, the voices are really getting pissed off with you. They're really getting angry. I'm like, hey, this is getting personal. Yeah. And I'm like still thinking, okay, they're in your head. They're not mine. They can't get me. They're, they're yours. And then comes the that same guy walks in without an appointment, looks me in the eye and said, the voices want to talk to you. And I'm like, what? Uh-oh. You know, I'm like, yeah. It's like, uh oh, this has never happened before. You know, for years it would be like I'd ask them, well, what are the voices telling you? Well, they're telling me you're stupid and you're a jerk and I shouldn't listen to anything you say and you're just uh, a, a, a crazy lunatic and stuff like that. You Trying know, to break it, you down. Well, they've said that about me all the time. You know, but <laughs> what I had was a, a group of prisoners carefully selected who, and this was fairly rare. And the unit was big, so I had a lot to choose from. But only the ones who would tell me in real time what the voices were telling them were the ones that I worked with most intensely. Mm-hmm. And, and then I would, you know, okay, try this and report back next week. Tell me how that worked. So as we experimented with different ways to weaken them and, and short-circuit them, uh, I was getting reports that they were getting more and more pissed off. Well, listeners, I knew it was getting good, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have here on Blog Talk Radio and in iTunes. But you can listen to the entire video, actually watch the entire video with Jerry Marzinski over at the YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash solutions radio. S-O-U-L-U-T-I-O-N-S Radio. We'll see you soon. And again, thank you so much for listening to the Illuminations Media Network. Peace and blessings.